what, Patrick Flynn? What, Beth Amon? I hate this movie. Love Actually? Yes. Me too. But I also love it. Me too. But I hate it. You know what we should do? What? We should get a bunch of people together, split the movie into its 10 storylines, and then figure out this movie one story at a time. You mean people like Keith Powell and Jill Knox Powell from NBC's Connecting? Keith, why don't you show us what porn watching faces? And Washington Post columnist Alexandra Petri? I don't know. I think every Christmas story is a horror story. Do you think it would work? It actually inspired me to plan my funeral. I dig the uh, brothel angle. Every time I think about the trailer, I'm like, I was misled. I love your use of the word shag, by the way. Can I mix your ashes with glitter? It's like eight half screenplays just put in a blender. I am positive I stayed with my ex an extra six months because we saw this in the theater. It will definitely work. What is Love Actually? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download. Whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a multi-hyphenate, I'm just going to call, I'm just going to say creator. That's all I'm going to say. It's Morgan Smith, everybody. <laughs> Hiya. <laughs> just, it, there's so many things I could put after your, like, your name and then a list of things. I'm just going to say you're a, a, crea- a creative force might have been a better way. <laughs> to describe you um oh thank you and i'm so glad to talk to you (laughs) and uh talk about all kinds of things like the averno township and willow specifically and a few other things but before we get to any of that we're here to talk about heathers we were so tiny happy and shiny playing tag and getting chased break slut loser short bus Singing and clapping, laughing and napping, baking cookies, eating paste. Bulldog stuck up, hunchback. Then we got bigger, that was the trigger, like the Huns invading Rome. Oh, sorry. Welcome to my school, this ain't no high school, this is the Thunderdome. Hold your breath and count the days, we're graduating soon. White trash! College will be paradise if I'm not dead by June. Life can be beautiful. I pray, I pray for a better way. If we changed back then, we could change again. We can be beautiful. Ow! Just not today. How did Heather's come into your life? So, um, I found Heather's my freshman year of college. Um, it was my sort of fall album. Like, I don't know if anybody else has this, but often I will get really, really into an album or a few specific albums in fall. Mm. Uh, As a college student, you have to do a lot of walking around campus. And so there's a lot of listening to me at the time. And my freshman year of college, I found Heather's and I walked to all over campus getting my classes and I listened to it on repeat um, as I'm sure a lot of other young people have done. And I... I just got addicted. It's so fun. Like, it's mm-hmm. so fun. Have you ever seen the movie? I, yes. Okay. Many, many times. Um, oh, really? I actually, oh, good. Yes. I, I adore the movie. Um, It was one of the scripts that I really used when I was trying to learn how to screen. Um, I often oh. will go and find a script online and just read it as I listen to the, or as I watch the film. Mm-hmm. Because it, that way you get a more intuitive understanding of how a screenplay and an actual film translate to each other. So mm-hmm. I read the screenplay and watched the film like five times in a row at one point. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I seen the movie a, a ton and then after finding the musical went back to it and was like, I haven't seen this in years. I should check it out. And I found it. Uh, mm, I mean, good, still very good. I remember, you know, remember, but, but it is not certain jokes have certainly not aged well, but even certain scenarios oh, yeah. in it, like the, there's the opening scene in the movie where he's in the cafeteria and uh, Christian Slater is and the two football players come up to him and he like jumps up and pulls a shotgun out from his, his jacket. Yes. And I was just like, 
oh god okay like i had to stop the movie for a second and then regroup and be like it's 1987 i think or whenever it is like everybody okay and we're back in you know but it was just like man i thought you know that's not funny at all <laughs> yeah that's like a big issue that i was having with it because i you know i got really into the musical mm-hmm. my freshman year of college and then sophomore years when I was trying to do a lot of screenwriting and so I was watching the film and reading the screenplay and stuff and then of course there was the news the tv show that came out right um which came it was supposed to be released and then there was the horrible shooting down in Florida and so they pushed it and it's just so much of the central like iconography is built around teenagers and guns which is just it's really hard to look at right now. And I mean, I don't know that much about the history of gun violence in the eighties. So I have no idea if it was as much of a thing, but just in the modern political climate, it is very challenging Mm -hmm. to sort of grapple with that specific aspect of it. Yeah, it doesn't. Well, and the musical does a really nice job of eschewing most of that. There's some of it that has to stay. Otherwise like portions of the plot don't make any sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, but the musical does a very nice job of, I actually think controversial statement, and I've said this before on the show, but uh, I think the musical does a better job of telling the story than the movie does. Uh, I think it has some much cleaner uh, points of entry to the characters. But uh, mm-hmm. before we go any further, if they, even though we have covered this musical before on the podcast, but it's always good to have a refresher. Do you think you could summarize the plot of uh, Heather's for everybody? Yes. So, um, uh, senior in high school veronica uh is generally fed up with the entire high school experience for good reason high school sucks um and it opens as she's like we have reached a point of just interminable suffering here in this high school world something has to change and so she tries to become popular and join this trio of teenage girls called the heathers who kind of run the school she finds life even more horrible when she's in the cool kid like club. And then she meets uh, JD, our villain, honestly, <laughs> um, a teen psychopath who becomes convinced that killing people is the only way to make their high school morally better. And so they enter into kind of this Bonnie and Clyde duo thing until Veronica is like, this is really messed up and we're killing people. <laughs> and then uh, JD blows himself up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's about yeah. it. That's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty good. That's a good, uh, good through line for that. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> not your typical musical comedy uh, in, in a lot of ways, uh, but it is, it is a musical I also avoided for a while because I just, I think on the heels of Legally Blonde and it's by, you know, one of the same writers and it's, it's, it, 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 it just sort of, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Legally Blonde as I've said on the show before. Uh, but so I just never listened to it. And then I heard um, Our Love is God for the first mm-hmm. time and went oh, this is different. Like, this is mm-hmm. good. And this is interesting. And I have to hear the rest of this. And I listened to it. And then I became uh, a disciple of it and started telling everyone you have to get Heathers. And they would give me <laughs> that same look I would have given anyone else before I heard it. I was like, no, seriously, this is a really, really, really good show. And mm-hmm. I, I get why it has trouble finding an audience. Sort of. Uh, and I, I get that it, it, it's hard, you know, people sort of look at it and maybe sideways and go, because it is not nostalgic for the 80s at no. all. It is just not a, it, yeah, it's a very raw sort of event. It just happens to take place in the 80s because that's when the movie takes place. Yeah. And I think that where Heathers has really struggled is that it's a show that's, built for teenagers and or it's about teenagers not necessarily Mm -hmm. built for teenagers but I think it speaks very much to teenagers however generally shows that speak primarily to teenagers have trouble getting off the ground anyways just because there's so many kind of existing not prejudices but like general weirdness surrounding shows for or about teenagers Mm -hmm. and then on top of that you have really heavy and graphic topics So it's not just like, you know, a 
teeny bopper show, this way that kind of be more chill was very teen oriented. It's Mm -hmm. teen oriented, but with gun violence and explosions and suicide and murder, which is then already like knocks off such a huge portion of your audience just because it's a show for and about teenagers, but also adults wouldn't buy tickets for it necessarily for their teenagers because they think it's inappropriate and it's very graphic and I think that it just hits an unfortunate intersection between a lot of things that make a show less marketable, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but it's brilliant material. <laughs> well, and dark comedy is something that I often find people either like or they don't. And mm-hmm. like, I love dark comedy. I've seen so many, I'm the guy who went to see death, uh, death to smoochie. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you know, know, know that movie. Um, with Robin Williams and Edward Norton. Uh, it was a famously huge flop. I went to see it at a press screening in college and walked out being like, this movie's going to be huge. This is the best movie I've ever seen. I still think it's really funny, but it's a super, super dark comedy. And it just mm-hmm. didn't, It's a, which takes place in the world of children's television and uh, is about the sort of seedy <laughs> underbelly of children's television. And it's really, I mean, absurdly funny. Highly, if you like Heather's, highly recommend Death to Smoochie. Uh, oh but God. it is, but it, I, that was when I began to realize when I was like, I wrote this review for our paper that was like this huge, like this movie's incredible. It's really funny. It's gonna be great. And then it just died on the vine, got terrible reviews and tanked. And I started to go, I guess people don't like, dark comedy you know or comedies where people die like it just sort of seems incongruous to people and this is a very dark comedy but to me life is a dark comedy <laughs> like that's what life is. Some, it's funny if anything of the last four years taught us well that's actually, not yeah this has just been a horror movie it's, it's nothing dark funny. right it's not funny it's no it's not dark. it's just been dark uh no the the last four years uh uh defy parody because just when you start it, it parodies itself and it's not it's really not funny um it's true. but you are talking to the owner of a four seasons total landscaping t-shirt so i'm here for the humor where i can find it um you oh can get them all gosh. actually this is a quick plug buy them online as a guy sells them i'll put a link in the show notes or you you buy a t-shirt and it support he designed and it supports candidates in georgia so go ahead and do that gang oh my god um, that's incredible i'm gonna make a note to myself to put it's got gritty on it it's fantastic um, <gasps> gritty. I, I am not a Philadelphian. I will not claim that title. However, I did go to school outside of Philly for two years. So oh, you go? I like I went to Renmar for two years. Oh um, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically like for most people will probably not know Brynmar, but it's one of the seven sisters. So like mm-hmm. the sisters quote unquote sister schools to the Ivies and um it's right near like Swarthmore, Haverford, all yeah. those schools. That great little college area. Yeah, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, so just like twenty minutes oh, outside okay. of the city. Yeah. Um so I know Bryn Mawr. I know that I know that area very well. So you started college at Bryn Mawr and then went to NYU. Yes. Okay. Um, I did my first two years at Bryn Mawr, and then um, I basically reached a point where I needed to be in New York um, because of theater things and all of that. And I also just wanted to be in a city. And mm-hmm. as much as it was fun to do the whole campus thing, I've kind of been ready to be done with college since I started. <laughs> and so I kind of went I did the small liberal arts thing I lived on mm-hmm. a campus I had a lot of traditions I did it all and then after two years I was like I'm ready to go be an adult and have an apartment and just move on sure so I did <laughs> I want to jump back to that for a second before I want to stick with Heather's for a minute because I, I, I wrote something down that I, I definitely wanted to touch on and we kind of uh, uh, you brought it up a little maybe a little earlier than I thought which is this idea of there being no theater for teenagers um, mm. which is something obviously I'd like to talk to you specifically about very much. But um, <laughs> I had the experience a couple years ago of uh, a friend of mine, she writes TYA. And so I, not TYA, pardon me. TYA is theater for young audiences. She writes. <laughs> just YA. She writes YA literature, yes. Um, and I had just read her second novel, The Truth About Alice, which is all about, uh, her name is Jennifer Matu. And uh, it's all about, rumors in high school and I read the book and I thought gosh this is a really good story and it would be a really good play and so I quickly reached out to her I said listen can I just have the like if somebody comes and tries to buy these from you talk to me you just call me first mm-hmm. but like can I have the theater rights to this and she said sure like yeah go ahead and and so I went around DC having just gotten sort of established and went to the local TYA and was like I have the rights to this book it's a big book we should do it and I was met with the resounding response that there is no such thing as theater for teenagers. It's theater for kids, you know, up through like junior high school and then nothing and then college. 
and I went the first time I heard it, I went, that can't be true. That's just something somebody's telling me. I went to every TYA person I knew and got the same answer. And I, on one level, got it, I guess. But like on another level, I was like, why is no one trying to capitalize on this group of people who like are doing theater in droves? Can't wait to do theater. So why don't we have theater for teenagers and i will put that to you what <laughs> why what do you but what do you so what as someone who is is creating and is making shows what kind of resistance have you met in that sort of general of like well there isn't a market for this so don't do it well i think that the the general idea about there being no market for teenagers is it, it comes at the the kind of intersection of who's paying because mm -hmm. when you have theater for adults, the assumption is that they buy their own tickets. And that's right. why the, you know, the theoretical buyer on Broadway is, you know, we always hear about the 50 year old white woman is the person who buys tickets to a Broadway show. Mm -hmm. And so when you're trying to take a show to Broadway, then you have to aim it at being marketable to a 50 year old white woman. Um, then at least with TYA, you get parents and parents will buy tickets to anything for children for the most part as long as it's reasonably enjoyable for them to sit through and they don't have to sit through. I don't know. I've, I've heard some really hellacious DIA. I'm not going to name names, but like sure, sure. there's, there's some stuff out there that I oh, would yeah. not want to sit through. Um, so that's, you know, you have parents who will buy tickets for their children and then you have adults who buy tickets for themselves. But the problem with teenagers is that there's a, this kind of incorrect assumption that teenagers aren't necessarily engaged in theater. Of course you have theater kids, but in general, the assumption is that your average teenager is going to want to go to the movies or listen to music online and not go to theater. Mm -hmm. um, so then you just don't have, quote unquote, don't have a market for it. However, the secret underbelly of that is that actually the entirety of Broadway is kind of aimed at teenagers because the shows that succeed and stick around for the longest are almost always teenagers or shows about teenagers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you know, Dear Evan Hansen, um, Mean Girls, and Wicked. Like all of these, Wicked, all mm -hmm. of these shows are about young people, usually between 15 and 25, maybe. Yeah. It's not always teenagers. Sure. But the shows that succeed are shows that are about teenagers. And we're all just kind of like dancing around that and not explicitly saying it because you know, Broadway is trying to be oh so very adult and does still look down on shows about teenagers to some mm -hmm. extent. Be More Chill got all kinds of flack. Some of it very deserved. Um, I have plenty of issues, but sure. a lot of it was people looking down on it because it's a show whose fan base was entirely teenagers. And it was about teenagers and it was for teenagers. And it got a lot of flack for that, which I don't think was deserved. Well, and I mean, even beyond the flack, it was it, the dismissiveness was what yes, drives me crazy. Exactly. People just want to kind of ignore, and this is true of YA too. I've been to a lot of literary conferences because I'm also a novelist and I write, you know, long fiction. Mm -hmm. And the way that I get treated when I'm in the um, the literary fiction groups versus when I'm in the YA groups. I am the same human being. Right. I am obviously a diminutive 5'1 and clearly very young. So there's a, a, an immediate reaction there. But the way that I get treated when I'm in the literary fiction classes versus in the YA classes is entirely different. And it's just because people have this sort of existing hatred to some extent for any media that's created for teenagers. Mm -hmm. It's true of boy bands and it's true of whatever the hot teen movie of the year is. And it's true of theater about teenagers. Well, and specifically against, uh, I think, teenage girls. I mean, it always seems yes. to be directed at teenage girls. The teenage yes. girls taste, even though the vast quantities of media is created specifically for this market, it is always the, something be, something being for little girls or for teenage girls can be used as a dismissive piece it's not real art it's not serious work and mm -hmm. it's bonkers uh and sexist and a lot of things all at once i i what you just said about being more chill being you know ignored largely or or dismissed uh made me reminded me of something that i'm going to get on a soapbox for for a second which is i don't see any other way to associate the fact in a tony awards year like this one where one 
musical Mm -hmm. was eligible for the best original score uh, Tony Award to nominate five plays scores and ignore the only eligible full tilt musical just because it's Percy Jackson, the lightning thief. And I don't see any other way to take that other than this decision that Percy Jackson, the lightning thief is not a real show. Like I just don't see any other way to take that. And I find that to be insulting (laughs) to a degree (laughs) that borders. It just makes it uh, more. I have have to stop talking about it. I'm very, very, because I'm I'm genuinely upset about it. Like I'm and I'm not again, like you and be more chill. Not a, I'm not the world's biggest Percy Jackson fan. I'm not, you know, I'm not a stand for Percy Jackson, but (laughs) I, I I just find that attitude to be Mm -hmm. so a counterproductive be high-handed and see short-sighted i mean these Mm -hmm. are the the folks these are the theater fans these are the people who you know one of the great things about working in tya is that i am i am aiding in the development of theater people from the jump and Mm -hmm. my goal is to create things that they are going to remember and will push them kind of going forward into a love of theater that's my goal there is nothing more sacred so it's so dumb <laughs> to get all the way up to Broadway and be like, we need more people. We need more people, but not you like you. We don't want you. You don't, you don't belong here. We want, mm-hmm. I don't know what they want. <laughs> and then I'm kind of like, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> These are your folks. And it's so, it, it just, it absolutely boggles my mind from a marketing perspective mm-hmm. because I was sitting there at BroadCon this year on like the BroadCon industry day. And so all of the panels where people are sitting up on the stage in their very fancy suits and they're like, how on earth can we, can we broaden our market? And there was a whole thing about reaching young audiences. And there were all these people up there in their fifties and sixties, like no shade at 50 and 60 year olds. I, I love them. They're great. But they were all up there sitting there like scratching their heads and being like, I wonder how we could possibly reach more teens because they're tastemakers. And I'm like, well, maybe if you stopped, like absolutely ripping into all of the shows that they liked mm-hmm. <laughs> a wild concept. Yeah. Well, or just keep putting the actual, like if, if you don't like the the stuff that's being developed for teens, like if you, and like you, like you said about be more chill, I said about lightning thief, they're not perfect. These shows that I'm, I'm putting up, we're, we're talking about, but if you don't like the TYA or even the theater for teens that's being developed, then put the money into developing shows for teens that you like. It's it's not you know you can't just dismiss the whole thing altogether and then go why won't the teens come see us I mean it's like a it's like a theater panel on diversity full of white people not that any of us have ever seen that but oh, you know it's like of course never no never never like you know all these theaters cry about wanting more diverse audiences but won't hire more diverse creators so what can you do Poe buddy's nerfed but <laughs> you. That, that incredulousness, I think, has also come to the fore, and I wonder if you feel this way too, in, in the time of quarantine, when all we have is time to think about things, and you, the more you look at this, fr- this Broadway frozen in amber, mm-hmm. the more you go, I don't really like how that looks. I don't love the big picture that I'm seeing here. I like individual parts of it. I love the concept of it. I love the world of it. But the way it exists now and that looming West side story revival just makes me kind of very unhappy, you know, (laughs) it just, it, it bothers me from like, obviously it, it just irks me and angers me and gets me all in a tizzy, but also it bothers me a lot from a business perspective because there are all the numbers that are thrown around constantly about like only one in five shows recoup and blah, blah, blah. And so you know, you follow the safe bet. And so you do revivals and you do biopics and you do adaptations of 80s movies. Right. And you play it safe. Mm-hmm. However, the thing is, what we've actually seen over the last little while is that the shows that are far and away successes are always the shows that the teenagers pick out that have the biggest fandoms like before they even open. Mm-hmm. And then those actually do financially very well. Like Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice set like blew all of these records out of the water because it was absolutely tanking. Like it was on mm-hmm. its way out. It was going to die before it even stood up. And then the teens got a hold of it and it ended up being the most popular show online that year. And it completely turned it around. 
and obviously they got kicked out of their theater anyways and then covid so right you know in the end it's all kind of a draw with the universe but it completely threw everyone's expectations because every critic out there was like this is trash and it's going to fail and then the teenagers were like okay but beetlejuice right and then suddenly it was just beetlejuice 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 and it had oh god you said it three times begging your pardon excuse me sorry to barge in now let's skip the tears and start on the whole you know being dead thing it just it's it just shows like time and time again the shows that nobody thinks are going to succeed Mm -hmm. or the shows that people like to you know sort of talk trash on going into them and stuff like that if the teenagers online like them they end up doing well and that's because one of the most like cardinal basic rules of marketing which i think just somehow didn't make it to broadway or we're all just ignoring or maybe i'm not in the rooms that discuss it or they're failing it greatly but the whole one of the rules of marketing is you always go for the tastemaker the Mm -hmm. quote-unquote tastemaker is a 15 to 17 year old upper to middle class white girl mm-hmm. that is which you know has problems like mm-hmm. for sure but that is in marketing rooms all across america you have execs who are sitting there scratching their heads trying to determine how to get a 16 year old girl to fall in love with their product and we see visual marketing skewed that way we see the language that's used in ads skewed that way we even saw it in the presidential election this year with mm-hmm. Biden actually like taking suggestions from teenage girls on TikTok, then utilizing their ad suggestions. Like clearly the whole world is trying to get 16 year old girls to buy their products because they do tend to push the way that the you know, sort of general public sees things because they're the ones who are talking about and consuming the most media. And they're out there posting about it and talking about it with their friends and convincing their families to go see it and stuff like that. But then Broadway just kind of necessarily hasn't picked up on that or they like understand it and would prefer to ignore it or I don't know. But it just blows my mind that like seltzer companies, like they changed seltzer bottles to be more appealing to teenage girls in high schools. But like Broadway won't put up shows with teenage girls at the forefront, even though they're clearly a good financial investment. But you also have this constant struggle that will never go away between art and commerce. I mean, it is just the eternal, the eternal struggle. Uh, and it is one, one thing that was funny in my career coming from film and then web series back into theater was in film and, and web content, all anybody talks about is money and marketing and how much money do we have and where's the money going and blah, blah, blah. Like that's all we talk about. It's, it, you're, and when I went to film school, you're trained to talk about it. When I got to theater and started talking about things like, well, we could do this and that and this, and then maybe the show could look a little money. It was a series of blank stares. And I was kind of like, what? And they were like, well, the show's not going to make any money. And I said, oh, why not? <laughs> and they were like, oh, because that's not our model. And I was suddenly explained like the, mo- the model of a very small, like independent professional theater group. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. Okay, well, never mind. They didn't, you didn't hire me for that. You hired me to write a show and you're paying me. So I'm fi- like, I'm fine. But you know, you guys should probably look into that. And mm-hmm. when you extrapolate that up into the professional sphere, even here in DC, and then of course in New York, it, it, it's a whole different thing where people don't want to talk about money. They don't want to talk about where all the money is and where it's going. And they don't want to talk about like, it's, we're, no, we're making theater. It's important. It's art. It's Arthur Miller. And it's, you know, it's Stephen Sondheim and, and, you know, all that's great, but the organism has to evolve. It has to change. It has to grow or it dies. And, you know, for all the hand wringing about how Broadway is, is dying and, and New York is in trouble. I've seen very little effort to, to innovate in new ideas. It's a lot of old ideas uh, just sort of repackaged with, with faster cuts and Eve Van Ho. But, you know, we, and a part of that is, of course, to be fair, the fact that we can't do anything right now. There's no real way to innovate. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the resistance to actually marketing towards any group is this idea of like, no, we don't mark like we're it's theater. It's serious. It's artistic. It is important. And I think the fact that the idea that really needs to catch hold is the fact that you can be both at the same time. You can be savvy. And you can be important. You know, great advertising can be artistic and great logos, Mm -hmm. of course, and all that sort of thing. Um, And actually, I will pay you guys. One of the things I noticed in scrolling through the Averno homepage 
was you guys really do pay a lot of attention, it seems to me, to your logos for shows and logos for ideas, like where all the CDs and all the, the designs for the CDs, all the designs for the covers of the albums, though, are, you know, circular logos inside of a solid color. And mm-hmm. so I, you instantly know, oh, that's an Averno show. Like you can look at it and mm-hmm. go, oh, I get it. And also they all seem to fit together. It's kind of like a set. It looks really nice if you have all these things. And it's, it's just that, that kind of thing where it's not, not overt. You guys aren't being, you know, hit me over the head with it. But it's just, mm-hmm. you thought about it. You clearly thought about the design aspect of this of this universe and of this of the multiverse and 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 all the aspects that go inside of it. And it's just so comforting and also easily recognizable. So you know, kudos. That was a really good idea. Thank <laughs> I, you. <laughs> um, so I don't want to quite dive into Averno just yet, though, because I had a, I want to <laughs> stick with. Uh, so what do you think it is with Heather's? do you is is it your experience i mean is there a lot of people you know who like feathers as much as you do or at least in a comparable level there's a decent number i feel like it's waned in popularity a little bit from when i really liked it a couple of years ago um but on the whole i would say it's still one of the shows that people tend to latch on to a just because like the scoring of it is very smart and it's very mm-hmm. gripping like their use of percussion and stuff like that and it's it's very dramatic and it's very easy to just like i know it's very easily consumable mm-hmm. and you know as with all kind of pop musicals it's got that element going for it but i think what drew me and a decent number of other teenagers to it so much is it's very sort of deaf maneuvering of very heavy topics because I generally gravitate away from a lot of the shows that's made that are made about and for teenagers just because they kind of trivialize things in a way that is very dismissive and it makes like the whole teen experience look like it's about popularity and the color pink and going to the mall and just so many things that were like unfamiliar to me and well I was not very involved in my high school like social circles and stuff. I I never really was part of all of that. I was very much doing things outside of school. The like profound and pervasive toxicity of the high school environment and just how drastic you're willing to go to escape it. Mm-hmm. Like that was very real. And we had a lot of issues in my high school with suicide. We had a lot of issues with drugs. We had mm-hmm. a lot of issues with pretty much everything. Um, I went to, oh, well, you probably, you know, Walter Johnson. I sure do. I know Walter (laughs) Johnson. Yeah, Um, not too far from my house, Walter Johnson High. It is a very high pressure high school. Mm. Um, They, they do this thing during AP season um, where they, they take the scores from the previous year and they paper the walls with them. Um, They also, during school accept like college acceptance season will put up every ivy league that a student's accepted into on the wall uh which is a very like physical experience so like you have to walk down this really really long hallway every day when you get off the bus and it's like 6 45 and you're just walking past these walls of fours and fives and then these walls of ivy leagues and it just feels like something out of hell <laughs> And it's interminable. <laughs> and you have to take seven classes. I took 13 APs while I was in. I took 13 oh my God. I was miserable. I almost died. Like, it was horrible. And so I think, like, Heather's took that so much more seriously mm-hmm. than anything else. And, like, you know, obviously we weren't going around, you know, blowing each other up at my school. Sure. But they just like hell of it all and just like this sucks and like you tell yourself it'll get better and it just doesn't get better and like it just keeps on being horrible and everyone's horrible and sometimes you just do really stupid things to not feel so bad Mm -hmm. and that's very real yeah well and it's one of the big things in the show that i I was talking to the show uh, take that whole sentence again I was talking I was talking to a colleague about the show this is years ago and i said it's wonderful because it has this very it takes the suicide seriously and by giving mm-hmm. making the character of Martha Dunstock equal with Veronica make them best friends instead of in the film where she is just a background character 
Um, mm-hmm. And then her suicide attempt then suddenly has so much weight to it because we like Martha and we love, like we love Martha just like Veronica does. And it's a symbol of how far Veronica has fallen. And I complimented that. And then I said, there's also this great motif running through the whole thing that characters repeatedly say, you're going to die alone. Your ass is off the team. Go on and bitch and moan. You don't deserve the dream. You're gonna die alone. Die alone. Die alone. Die alone. Die alone. And they say it over and over again. It's an insult, but it's also in the back of people's minds. It's, it's just this constantly spinning refrain. And the person I was with was like, oh, high school students don't don't think about that. And I was sort of like, oh, you obviously had a very, very different high school experience <laughs> than I did. Um, and a lot of people I know, like, what do you, how, how are you a theater kid? And you didn't have that, like, even that fleeting thought, like, what kind of, what kind of theater kid were what? you? Were you well adjusted? Well, yeah, seriously. <laughs> but like, because it is like, but it, it sounds, I think so many people are actually quick to forget how they were in high school and in junior high school and, and sort of that they, we, we are almost trained to dismiss our younger selves, to kill our younger selves when we become adults mm-hmm. because our younger selves are embarrassing. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was a spaz. It was an absolute spaz in high school. As I see pictures of myself and I go, Oh God, I wish that kid would calm down. But I also know that I actually had a recently had a wonderful conversation. It's, it's on this feed with my friend, Jeremy O'Keefe, who I've known my entire life. And he talks about how looking at pictures of himself, all he's looking at is this, this kid that who was, he, he wishes he could tell to calm down or, or tell to do something else, you know? So we're all just looking at ourselves where nobody cares. Like when we look at those old pictures, no one cares. Everyone was an idiot. You know, it's that, that, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So we should not take it quite so seriously, but we also should remember that so many things are life and death and not in the, fun sort of sports terminology like literally feelings and things are life and death experiences are life and death and there is this sort of sense of like well if i don't get this right nothing will go right for me after this and i will i will end up i will die alone i will and in in the the worst sense of that of that phrase and this show really holds on to that intensely for me articulated most beautifully in the song kindergarten boyfriend But I believe that any dream worth having Is a dream that should not have to end So I'll build a dream that I can live in And this time I'm never waking up And we'll soar above the trees Over course and croquet lawns Past the church And I think that that's also a difference in time because, I mean, I don't, I obviously was not around in the 80s, so I'm not really sure what high school was like, but I mean, just hearing my parents' experiences in high school versus mine, I think that, you know, of course, every young person ever is like, oh, my life is so hard and it's so much harder than it ever was before. Mm -hmm. But I think that with social media and APs, and the just general inflation of like, you know, there's these jokes about how you have to have founded a nonprofit in order to get into college. But at this point, literally like every person at my high school had a 4.4 plus GPA and did at least six sports, two of which were nationally ranked and they volunteered 80 hours a week and were like on the science decathlon team winning, you know, the junior Nobel for their chemistry mm-hmm. work. Like literally everyone was killing themselves. And like, they're like, we were all taking caffeine pills and not sleeping at all and miserable. And of course then people would occasionally like let loose because they were so insanely stressed and make really poor choices about their health and do things that endanger their lives. And everyone on the outside is like, oh, you know, it's just school stress. 
but it's not just school stress. Like these people are pulling 18, 20 hour days, mm-hmm. killing themselves to get into college. And then they get to college and they have no idea what to do. But Morgan, I have to say, listening to you talk about how motivated everybody was and the worlds that they created makes me have to ask you a question. I think you are now anticipating, <laughs> which is, so then if that was your experience, why did you create a multimedia empire? <laughs> So just, well, well, I'll give Morgan a second to answer that question. I want to explain to my audience for a second, who might be like me, I did talk about Averno and Willow in last week's intermission, um, but that like- Very kindly. Oh, it was, it was all genuine. I, I was, it, I, I think, I did not know this thing existed. And then Robbie Rizal called me up and he was like, listen, we're, we've got this, we've got this record on Broadway records, this cast album, you should hear this thing. It's the fastest selling thing we've ever done. And I said- Oh, sure. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, okay. And then I clicked on the website and suddenly found this world that I did not know existed, like like walking through the wardrobe and pushing past the fur coats. I suddenly am in Averno and Mm -hmm. it's deep and it's wide and it's full of people. (laughs) And so Yeah, it is. (laughs) So Yeah, it is. So Morgan, I'll just start (laughs) I'll start with what 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 was what caused it? Where did Averno come from? Well, I am nothing in my soul if not obsessive. Sure. And um, I basically, theater kids, theater kids through and through. Um, I mean, it all started when my parents made the mistake of putting me in theater when I was four years old and it changed me. It's always your parents' fault. (laughs) um, Yeah. So forever now, last fall, fall of 2019, I had just come off of my first like New York run of a show that I had done. Um, It had stolen my entire soul because I produced it and I raised $10,000 and was the, did all of the organizing and hired everybody and did all of it. The first summer I moved to New York, uh, literally three days after I moved into my shoebox apartment in the East village, uh, I was casting. Um, So I was fresh off the heels of that. And I was like, well, I had suddenly have all this free time. I mean, other than starting at NYU, uh, what shall I do now? Um, And basically I was kind of at this point where I was feeling very whiplashed from jumping back and forth between projects. I have always been, you know, very gung ho about trying my hand at any kind of writing. So of course I was doing screenplays. I was doing TV shows, podcasts, novels, Mm -hmm. musicals everything. And I was like trying to switch worlds all the time. It's exhausting. Like pulling my brain from, you know, the year 900 with Vikings and then throwing it all over into like this weird alternate universe mental hospital. It's just a lot. And Mm -hmm. gear switching like that was exhausting. So I wanted to create a way that I could try writing everything and I could do all of the different mediums possible, but I could keep it all kind of in the same world and not have to gear shift so hard all the time. And I had been kind of haunted by this set of images, really, I guess. Um, I had been at a writing conference and I wrote this whole collection of short stories that were all set in the same place. And it centered around this town and this woods and witches in the woods. And I didn't know what was going on. And it was all very abstract fiction. So I was just kind of vibing with it. But then, you know, as I was trying to decide what world I wanted to do, I was like, huh, why, why don't I explore that space? Like, whatever that was, I'll just sort of go in there, wander around, see what happens. And I found Averno. <laughs> um, and basically, a lot of it has been learning on the fly because not in an egotistical way, but like no one's done this before. There's no model for it. There's sure. no clear like example of how one does it. I started out with writing the podcast and we started putting that out. It's called Live from Averno. And it's a like radio theater podcast that's a quote unquote true crime show from these two college students in Averno. Um, that was the first thing I wrote. And then I wrote another musical and then they all just spiraled. I wrote more musicals, yada, yada, yada. And suddenly it was a whole universe. <laughs> hang on. You can't yada, yada. Hang on for a second. Hang on, hang on. Slow down. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I understand what you mean. <laughs> As somebody who, because I get the sense from you that I very much have that the sort of like the drive to create is just inside of you. And oh, it's intolerable. You, I can't, I can't sit still. I right. can't do anything else. <laughs> okay. 
hundred percent relate to that. I'm right there with you. Like it, it, the, <laughs> those, those of us who sort of when put down this first draft of this script, instead of going to draft two, pick up draft one of this script and start, go, you know, and then work on both simultaneously and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, yeah, that is the, the juice that flows. I a hundred percent understand what you're saying, but <laughs> for, for the, <laughs> for the, the rest of the world <laughs> where what you just said <laughs> makes no sense at all, okay. I want to drill down for one second. So you, you created, you had a lot of disparate projects that were sort of, and gear shifting was tricky. So you just, you put them basically all in one multiverse of Averno, starting with yes. the podcast. Um, I think perhaps I will, you, the rest of the world can't see this. We're, cause we yeah. can see each other right now. No one I else sure can. can, but uh, I can talk you through this. This was the original notebook that founded Averno. Oh, wow. It is a okay. very beat up notebook that has a cute illustration of a treehouse on the front. And basically I got this notebook and at first it was just like a list of, I made a list of world building questions that I needed to answer, you know, town name, the central conceit, the groups of people, the histories and timelines, the systems of power within the town. I made a list of aesthetics that I wanted to pull from, including American Horror Story Coven, the novel We Have Always Lived in the Castle, the sort of visual design of Sabrina, American mm-hmm. Gods, very Southern Gothic, Twilight Zone, Stephen King style writing, um, Night Vale, Twin Peaks, The Witch, the horror movie, A24, like all of these sort of aesthetics that built out the visual and like atmospheric design of this world that I wanted to create. And then I wrote a list of questions that I wanted to sort of interrogate and all of that, including um, uh, what is it to play God? <laughs> A big question in Averno. That's a big question no matter where you're living. That's a pretty big question. <laughs> Here and now, World War II, you know. You know, it's, all it's different always been a big places. question for humanity. Sure. Um, and then like questions of like chosen family, home, etc. And then I started creating these lists of snippets of plot, like really snippets, like mm-hmm. boys raised by witches, the returned, avenging angel guy a play of the about like the women who are kind of responsible with by supporting genocidal war maniacs um podcast to college students girl who leads the gang of teenage girls these are all very like out there very broad ideas but you can see in these um you know boy raised by witches is gladiator it's a rock musical um it's hopefully going to be coming out this fall i mean winter uh podcast to college students that mm-hmm. became live from Averno. Um, I wrote Peter Pan-esque children in the woods. Those became the wild ones, uh, which are the subject of graphic novel Dreamweaver. And yeah, I just sort of started writing all of these ideas of potential plot lines that came into my head. And from there, I gave myself writing deadlines. Um, October 10th, the first draft of the book of a musical, October 31st, the podcast release, December 1st, novel draft, October 15th, TV pilot, October 25th, collection of children's stories, October 17th, play draft, October 10th, five short stories. And I gave myself deadlines and held myself to them like a Mm -hmm. poker in a fire. I should also bring up for people at home who are sort of like, how do you do all this? You don't do it alone. You have a phalanx of of people uh collaborating with you so how did you assemble your avengers to make this sort of thing possible (laughs) yes so the the avengers um were the the greatest single greatest thing that's ever happened to Averno. um in the beginning i was alone (laughs) wandering lost in this desert (laughs) um i was actually alone in fact until may um Mm. i wrote the first drafts of six shows before anybody else came onto the project or for some of those, I was essentially doing jukebox musicals with composers Mm. who were adapting their music a little bit, but for the most part for the first, I guess eight months, I was completely alone. Um, And that was when the vast majority of the initial world got created. Um, I came up with the school, the departments, all of the history of the universe and the main characters, the plot lines for all of the shows that would later go on to be developed. And I think that's what gives it its like internal structural integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, Because where a project like this could go wrong is when you have a lot of people creating, it doesn't always feel like the connective tissue is there because everybody has their own 
aesthetic sensibilities and the questions that they want to interrogate in their work and stuff like that. So it would just end up kind of a, a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I created the foundation of all of it. And I made sure that in every piece, we're kind of interrogating the same themes. It's not always the same question, but they're all very obsessed with um, home and growing up and what it means to lose your power, what it means to come into your power and stuff like that. So they all kind of revolve the same circle of issues and they all revolve a lot of the same aesthetics. We all work from cohesive sets of Pinterest boards and lists and stuff like that, all of which I create. So I make sure that everything follows a a map so that it all feels like it fits together and you don't look at one thing and look at another thing and be like, what the heck? Mm -hmm. Um, When I assembled the Avengers, I first put out a call for artists on TikTok, actually. Mm. Um, I was basically like, hey, is there anybody out there who does kind of like cottage core witchy style art? And would you want to come work on a project? The initial group of people was about maybe eight to 10 of us. Like it was pretty small. Um, And those were the concept artists that were brought on to help develop the visual sensibility of the world. Um, A lot of them have become very close friends of mine um from that core group most of them are still involved in the project and we've become absolute best friends i literally am on calls with them every single day um and then from there we i brought on two more composers initially sushi and augie who are augie is the composer for willow and then sushi is the composer for over and out the next show to come out um they were a huge part of starting to build out the music of the universe. Um, currently, I'm still the only writer. Mm. Hold on, let me fact check that in my head. Yes. Um, actually, no, Augie did write the scripting for the web series under Averno. But other than that, um, and Jamie co-writes the podcast with me. Um, Jamie is the voice of Quinn and the co-creator of Life from Averno and stuff. But other than that, I'm still the only writer on the project. So the the storylines and all of that still are all me. And then our concept team is a vast and widespread set of very talented humans um, who do, there's concept art. So anything that you have seen with your eyeballs is all them. And then there is the planning and development team who run all of our events and moderate the discord server and help run social media, outreach, press and development, all of that. Um, And then there is a music production team who does all of our scoring for podcasts and they wrote the department's EP and all of that kind of stuff. So they build out a lot of the more textural music for the world um, and have started leaning more into original composition for things. And they, they build out a lot more of the like atmospheric and sort of textural music for the world. So those are the main sort of pillars of the Avengers that we have currently. Um, And they are a, massive, massive part of what Averno has become as a community. Um, They've provided like so much support and have just made it what it is. Like I would not be able to be writing right now. Like I'm writing a new novel right now. And the fact that I've been able to handle, hand a lot of the universe over to them. Have you found it possible uh, to challenge yourself and grow as an artist you know, as a writer, as a novelist, a dramatist, whatever it may be, um, inside the framework of this of this world. Because with every project, you know, say that I work on, I'm always trying to do something that's different, trying to challenge myself this way, looking at something that went wrong on the last one and going, okay, I'm going to get that right this time. That, you know, and make sure everyone's just a tiny bit better than the one before. But when you're working on so many simultaneously that are in so many different media, do you find it possible project to projects to improve or is it every now and again you kind of step back and go okay how do I take a jump forward or where do I need to take a jump forward this has actually pushed my brain to creative lengths that I don't think I would have ever reached otherwise Mm. um I think about with Averno um the the quote about it's better to know one book intimately than it is to know a hundred superficially. And for me, art has always been about pushing myself until I reach conclusions that I wouldn't be able to before. It's the same thing I think you do in an academic paper where 
you've got this like massive intangible thing where you're like looking at these like seven texts and you're like, they all get together somehow. And I just have to like push myself until I can find precise enough language to articulate this ephemeral connection that I'm sensing. And instead of having a bunch of pieces that are about one thing, I have at this point probably 30 or 40 things that I have written that all circle a set of maybe 15 themes. And so when you get that many combinations and reiterations and remixes and stuff like that on these themes, instead of getting tired of them and feeling like you have nothing new to say, I'm, you know, reaching like the point where I have a PhD in Averno. Like I, I've thought about the concept of consent or of rebirth or something like that to the point now that I've seen it, that one theme through 20 pieces and through characters who are so disparate and unlike in the ways that they think about the world, thinking about this same context and the same theme and all of that, that I have gained such a like deep understanding of this world and of these characters and of these questions that I've been asking that I'm, I'm like growing all the time, I think. And this, the novel, I've, I've just started working on a novel 10 days ago. I'm 50,000 words in, so I'm almost halfway, I think, to where I want to be. Okay. Um, and it's, it's been such an insane meld because it includes characters from now seven of the different musicals that I've written and seeing mm. them all coming together, A, in a prose format mm-hmm. and B, at a different point in their life is such a strange and different way to think about them. But it's just all of these things that I don't think writers get to do because you're so invested in a single moment or a single arc of a character that you Mm -hmm. don't get to take that character and look at them like, what does this character look like when she's on stage as a teenager? And then what does she look like when she's on stage as a single mother? And then what does she look like when she's in a novel 20 years later running a small business and thinking Mm. about the birth of her first grandchild? Like you don't have all of those things normally. And getting to see those transformations through form and genre and through different times in life and also just different central questions that you're interrogating in the piece, it's really rewarding. It sounds like it. I mean, it's it's an incredible idea it's it's it what's so incredible about it also it's just very simple it's this very simple idea that why don't we have a multiverse that takes place over multiple kinds of media like why not (laughs) and the answer is simply i think is because no one ever has like that's really just the answer to that uh to that question um partially probably because a lot of these these multiverse multi-character multi-story levels are usually formed inside of some kind of media organization be that a comic Mm -hmm. corporation or on television or something and when they try to branch out into another world it all gets kind of murky whereas you have the advantage of everything just started and everything from the beginning so that's always where it's lived so it's not it's not is it hard to move characters among different forms of media throughout their lives It's only been hard where I start having parts of the timeline that get messy. Mm. Um, I I try to kind of keep things happening on different parts of the map or like in different years so that they don't all get tangled up in each other. Um, The novel has been a little bit tough because this novel is happening immediately after the Bitter Summer musical during season one of Live from Averno during Over and Out, the musical, and immediately after Gladiator, the musical. So there's a lot of just, Mm. you know, looking at the kind of war map I have in my head, and I'm like, okay, where is everyone emotionally? And like, does this person know that thing about that person? And like, they need to know that thing about that person. But I wrote it that way in the musical, so to make sure that they like, don't talk at crosshairs to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really the only like, challenge. And that's just a question of me having to like, keep everything logistically sorted in my mind and also that's why we only I only have like one really writer at this moment in time just because yeah I, no one else knows all those plot sure. lines it's it's absolutely it's it's absolutely remarkable and we should so and the the the, the so willow is out on broadway records you're also i think when does the departments come out is it today the departments the departments ep is already out it's okay. a set of instrumental songs uh, inspired by the seven departments of a new school. So that one came out on Halloween. 
And okay. then we are going to have another musical coming out with Broadway Records soon, over and out. Um, and then and there's a third musicals. one, right? There's yes, a, at a least third a th- one, okay. Bitter Summer, um, which we can expect in like late spring, early summer. It is a very summer oriented folk musical. So mm. we are holding on that one until we're a little bit closer to the warm season. Okay. Um, but there will be another thing out with Broadway Records to anticipate also during the winter, uh, which is currently unannounced. Um, and also another thing. <laughs> there are always, there's always more. There's always more things. Um, it's totally true. I, I think that my, my approach in my work and in, in, in my approach to theater, I am constantly getting much more of the, like, why not? What's the big deal? Like, shut up. Just do it. What are you talking? Why are you whining about it? And uh, I love what's coming up behind us. And I hope that it will be given the chance to thrive in the main view that it deserves. Not because, it, I mean, you're going to keep doing what you're doing, whether people like put you out in the front or not, but it deserves that level of attention is all. And I hope that the people who, who have that attention to give are wise enough to realize that they should be paying attention. I'm really glad that Van and Robbie have grabbed you guys up at Broadway records to give you that push. I think that's very smart on both of their cases. Um, to carry this thing forward because this is where it's going. So you can either mm-hmm. get on the bus or get run over. Uh, and I, you know, we can sit and bemoan about the fact that there aren't enough young shows for young people or we can go out there and damn well make them. And uh, I love, love, love that you're doing that. Real fast, just circling back to Heather's, what's your favorite song? Oh, I, I think that it's Our Love is God just because it's the most <laughs> twisted psychology. And it's just so, it's so brilliant watching the way that he maneuvers her in that song. Mm-hmm. And like, you, you can just like hear the tension in every single line. Like the thing, I, I think that like what makes excellent writing is not the words that you say, but all of the things that are in the gaps in between. Mm-hmm. And that song is just so brilliant in like every line there's a thing that's said and then there's another thing that's under it that's like so much scarier (laughs) and like you know he'll just like drop these words and you're like oh god there is so much happening here and all of those spaces are just so like tense and delicious Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's such an amazing song uh not only for that reason i mean because it is a line from the movie it's just a throwaway line in the movie Mm -hmm. that they made a whole song out of which is incredible but it is a really good example to me of what you can do especially in a musical where you have a sentiment that is lovely at the beginning when he's singing mm-hmm. it to her to try to, to comment. And he said, when he first says our love is God, you're like, Oh, that's beautiful and pure. And by the end with the minor chords and what he's done, you fully understand the full meaning of what he is saying. And they have made you complicit in it because you, you thought it was just like Veronica. Cause you thought it was sweet when we started. Oh, and wow you so follow that journey. You see how this, she gets manipulated into this murder, double murder, uh, <laughs> as a, a sort of like unwilling, unwitting participant. And now we're with mm-hmm. her. Um, and then we're just going to follow it with uh, my dead gay son, just because we need a big dance number to, c- to c- come in after it. Yep. Which was the moment when I did pick, and I do have this on CD, when I got the CD, having not listened to the show yet and flipped over to read the tracks and saw that one of them was called my dead gay son, which is a great line in the movie. I thought these people understand how this show, this thing works. Yeah. <laughs> they know, they know what they're writing. And they get it. They know, hands. they know the, the function of the humor here. Uh, what is the best place for people to find out what you're doing? <laughs> Cause you're everywhere. <laughs> so where should they? I'm everywhere. Chances are I've already found you. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I think oh, I at love this that. point, um, the best place is at Averno Town on Instagram, mm-hmm. at Averno Musicals on TikTok, and our website is avernotownship.com. Um, and I am, <laughs> my hand's a little weird. It's mythweaver underscore, mm-hmm. as in like myths and legends. Uh, it's a Sappho reference because I was a classics minor, so... And if you ever get confused, if you're clicking around Averno and you ever get confused, just go to the fandom page too. You can find out all kinds it's, of stuff there. 
We have over 1,000 fan accounts now. So oh, wow. if you search Averno, you'll find us. Yeah, you're you're a little popular, we shall say. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you're welcome because <laughs> you've earned it. So I'm not, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing you should be. I hope you take a bow. You, 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 done, you did the thing and you're still doing it. Um, it was so great to talk to you, Morgan. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you so much. Yes, this was so fun. Thank you for having me. The conversation was lovely. I'm always excited to talk about theater with interesting people. And this oh, has definitely you. been a fun conversation. They made you cry But that will end tonight You are the only thing that's right about this broken world Go on and cry But when the morning comes We'll burn it down and then We'll build the world again Our love is God I was alone I was a frozen lake But then you melted me awake See, now I'm crying too You're not alone You're not alone And when the morning comes the morning We'll burn comes. away that tear And raise our city here Our love is God the original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at UnknownPenguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Morgan Smith for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. We can start and finish wars. We're what killed the dinosaurs. We're the asteroid that's overdue. The dinosaurs will turn to dust. They'll die because we say they must. What the fuck have you done? I worship you. I'd trade my life for yours. We'll make them disappear. We'll plant our garden here. Our love is God. 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 Our love is God.